We're getting near the end of, of our study of the book of Joshua. We're getting some, good, some meat and potatoes kind of stuff. Last words of Joshua, you know, words of wisdom, just real high-level uh, a spiritual calling, some warning tonight. And I was thinking as I was working through the text this week about a little trip I took. I was headed out toward East Texas. I was out on I-30. And I was doing what I do, which is listening to some sports radio, had it dialed into one of our local stations. And I think they were talking about the NFL draft and different players that, you know, the Cowboys might take and the Chiefs. Uh, that's my team. But they were talking about different, different players and things. I was, about Sulphur Springs... Started hearing that static come up, you know, kind of. And I, but I kept listening, man. I kept listening because I could still understand it and everything. And then about the time I got to Mount Vernon, Texas. So that's your cutoff. If pretty much all three of the sports stations out of Dallas, that's your cutoff. You get to Mount Vernon and you're going to lose it. So I get to Mount Vernon and it's really, there's a lot of static. And it's really hard to make out just anything. And then have you ever had this? I know you've had this happen. Um, where all of a sudden your station begins to compete with another station, right? And uh, this station was lots of tubas and accordions. So it was a Mexican music station. And so I got a little bit of hard-to-make-out draft coverage and then, you know. And, and finally, that was about the time I quit because the Mexican station was winning the duel. Uh, but it got me to thinking about, uh, especially in light of tonight's text, about tuning in to God. Um, by the way, congratulations. You're here tonight, and that says something about you're wanting to tune in your mind and your heart to God. We're worshiping God together, uh, but tuning in to God. And we know there are a lot of other stations out there, and they are competing, and they're static in life. And tonight, I think what Joshua is really going to do, of course, they didn't have this uh, metaphor available to them in those days, but I think he is going to really kind of talk to them about, about tuning their hearts into God and uh, watching out for the rival stations that will try to capture their hearts. Um, so Joshua is over a hundred years old. Let's kind of get some perspective here. He is an old, old man. And the book of Joshua now, we've been looking at probably roughly two decades of time. So just the timeline since Joshua chapter 1. And, and he talks about in chapter 23 that there are these different lines of thought. There are these different desires. There are different... Idols would be the uh, Hebrew word for this, that, that you can synchronize your heart to. A lot of options that you can tune into. And so first we're going to talk about knowing who you are. For Israel, you are God's people. You are God's children. Um, that is who you are first and foremost. You are His so the nations around you, that's not true of. So watch out for that. Just know they're tracking with some different melodies. They're tracking with some different stations. Um, and so if you tune into God, if you track with God, you will be blessed. Uh, it will go well for you. And this is a common theme throughout the Old Testament. If you do not track with God, it will not go well for you. And so since the beginning of the book, we've got this span of time. They conquered much of the land, most of the land, not all of the land. There are still some enemies to be faced, some mopping up to be done. But Joshua reminds them 
why they are where they are. And I mean that in a geographical sense. Why they are on the map where they are. They are where they are because this is their land that has been promised to them starting way back, Genesis 12, with their, with their forefather, Abraham and Sarah. These promises were made. This land is going to belong to your descendants and they are going to multiply. They're going to be fruitful on this land. And so they are to claim these promises. They, they are quite literally here living in the promises, living in on that map. They are now inhabiting that promised land. So he asks them to rem- remember not just the promises that were made by God to Abraham, but the fulfillment of those promises, which this is pretty cool. They got to, to be front row witnesses of these promises actually Reifying, actually coming true in their, in their presence. And so to remember, they're just kind of remembering. He's walking them through the last 20 years, what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they've heard. Um, and so we'll pick up the text here in chapter 23, 3 to 5. This aged man says, You yourselves have seen, you have seen everything. The Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea, the Mediterranean and the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord God promised you. So God made the promises And now they have seen them firsthand fulfilling these promises day after day as they occupy more and more of this land. Uh, These promises have become very real in their lifetimes, and it has been incredible. I mean, just kind of put yourself in their shoes. What an amazing ride. Uh, And they know that while they had been fighting, that really it was God who was fighting for them. That the heavy lifting was being done by the Lord. God was the one making things happen. Like Joshua said, the Lord your God was driving the people out. The Lord your God has been fighting for you. And we've seen this since, I mean, really day one. Crossing the Jordan. Who opens the Jordan? God does. First obstacle across the Jordan, the city of Jericho. And we remember the story there at the city of Jericho. Did they pick up weapons, the Israelites, to take Jericho? Yeah, they did. Did they get into formation as an army would in March? Yes, they did. But what percentage of the workload, just that first battle, the conquest of Jericho, what percentage of the workload did they carry? Somewhere south of 1%. Right? I mean, really. I mean, their workload was to walk around, to do basically parades around the city of Jericho, better part of a week, and then boom, God brought the walls down. The battle was his. And he established that from the first day, the first battle in the promised land. I'll be fighting the battles for you. You have a role to play. Weapon up. Get your sword strapped on. You'll have a role to play. But know this. I am going before you. I am going with you. The battle belongs to the Lord. So there's this partnership. And God is the senior partner. I mean, that's probably a vast understatement. He's God. He's the Lord. 
They, he is the majority shareholder. He is the one responsible ultimately for their success in the land. And they do have this role to play. I mean, but their role, well, let's put it this way. What if they hadn't done what God had ordered? I mean, the battle plan didn't make a lot of sense. Parades around the city, blow the trumpets, you know, at the end. It didn't make, what if they said, you know, um, we want to take Jericho. You've promised us Jericho, but... That's just that we're out on that plan. I suspect those walls wouldn't have shaken, wouldn't have fallen. Their part was to walk by faith, right? And trust that God would hold up his end of the bargain, his end of the relationship, to trust that he would make something amazing happen. And we love and we trust God and our partnership with him. It's not an equal partnership. He's the, he's the boss. He's, the God. he's our God. He's the Lord. And so Joshua's reminding them. He's reminding us as we read this literature. Uh, he's reminding us of this powerful truth. And so I think there are essentially three ideas. At least this is what I saw when I went through chapter 23. Three big ideas from Joshua. His last words contain three big ideas here in chapter 23. And the first one has to do with our relationship with the Word of God. Listen to what he says here in verse 6. Be very strong. This is a theme since chapter 1. Be very strong. Uh, be careful. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. There are a number of different views of the Bible. Um, you know this, I know this. Some see it as a work of fiction, just can't rely on anything. Some see it as basically a work of fiction, but some of the things are true. I mean, there are some true geographical locations and maybe some true historical figures in the pages of the Bible. Others see it as inspired to a point. You know, some of the miracles may have happened, but come on, some of these others, a little too, too much to kind of swallow. So there are different views kind of on the authority of the Bible, on the inspiration of the Bible. But here's Joshua's view of the Scriptures. It is the high view. Joshua believes and affirms publicly the Bible is the Word of God, right? Isn't that what he says? It provides trustworthy instruction from cover to cover. cover. And our success as believers, he's going to tell them, ultimately depends uh, in, in large part to our submitting to the authority of the Word of God in our lives, to following it faithfully. This is his view because he says in verse 6, be careful to obey. Be careful to obey what? His Word is all. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book. Now at this time, you had the Pentateuch. You had the five books of Moses, or the most conservative interpretation of what the Torah was. Now we have a canon of 66 books. But listen to how this view really hasn't changed from Old Testament to New Testament. I mean, Paul writes to his protege Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. He says, Timothy, all... Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this fundamental starting place, kind of the blocks, 
that you start out on in a right relationship with God where you're occupying the space that you're supposed to occupy and God is occupying His space on the throne. It, is, it starts with a right relationship with the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. It speaks of real people. It speaks of different nations and historical events that happened. It shares real inspired teaching and commands that God's people are to tie their lives onto. And you've probably heard this. This is an old story I've heard, but I like the point it makes. And something like this probably happened at some point. But it was a foggy night out at sea off the northeastern coast of the United States. One ship got dangerously close to another ship. The only way they were able to see it was from the light on the bow of that ship. And so they begin to radio warnings to this other ship, telling them, you must alter course immediately, sir. You must alter and three or four different warnings. And finally, they got this reply from this other ship. This other ship replied, sir, we cannot change course. We are a lighthouse. You must change course immediately. And so I don't change the Bible. The Bible changes me. I don't alter the Bible. The Bible alters me. And the Holy Spirit is at work in this dynamic. It's part of this relationship, personal relationship I have with God. It's the authority. It illuminates my way. It it shows true north. It orients my journey. And so Joshua doesn't want people that he loves, that he cares about in these tribes that are now inhabiting different parts of this land. He doesn't want them getting lost in the static of competing stations, competing voices. He wants them dialed in to the voice of God, the inspired word of God. And so this first idea, we can put that up on the screen, very basic idea, no newsflash here. Um, This is something we talk about a lot. It's the idea that God's word, it is the lighthouse on which I am orienting my journey. It doesn't move. I need to do the moving, okay? And then the second idea, another big idea, another central idea is like this. I will not be pulled off course by influences other than the Lord. Okay? I'm going to be careful. That's what being careful is. Being careful to obey. I'm not going to be pulled off course. So let's look at verses 7 and 8. Joshua says, guys, do not associate with these nations that remain among you, your neighbors. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. You are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So we move beyond the word. Now we're talking about God himself. Hold fast to God. Hold fast. Do not be swayed by those around you. Don't walk away from Joshua's words thinking, oh my goodness, God is such a bigot. I mean, people have this view of the Old Testament, right? That God is just so unkind and so mean to everybody. He only loves Israel. That's not what's going on here. What's go- in fact, God's concern for all peoples has been showing up in the Bible since the beginning. And even in the story, even in the beginning of Joshua as he chooses this outsider, this foreigner, Rahab, to become this heroic figure, delivering the city, or part of the deliverance of the city of Jericho. And then she's woven into the story, and you you remember her story. She's even held up, uh, I mean, throughout Scripture, this example of faith, and she's woven into into the lineage of Jesus Christ. She is one of his ancestors. 
He's got part of her DNA in him. And so even in the story of Joshua, we have these glimpses of what is to come, of how God loves all nations and wants to bring all nations into the fold because that's ultimately what her, her descendant Jesus does. He becomes Savior of the world, all of the world. But Israel, this, this is what we're talking about. Israel is to be a light. They need to have an identity that is separate from the identity that all of the other nations around them have. They're not just supposed to blend in. They are supposed to be unique. They are supposed to exhibit a special relationship with God. And this is the thing, like, the greatest disservice that Israel could do to the neighboring nations, to the foreign countries around them, the greatest disservice that they could do would be for them to lose that distinctiveness, for them to be just like everyone else. The history of the world is counting on them to be who they are called to be. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob? To bring back those of Israel I have kept. Here's the promise. I will make you a light. For who? For the Gentiles. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Old Testament prophecy. Their destiny is to bless everyone. It's for this covenant to be thrown open wide to all spiritual Israel who will trust in Jesus Christ. And so the world for centuries, they're going to get to watch what this looks like. Sometimes it's pretty good. Sometimes a lot of times Israel is kind of failing at this. But the plan all along has been to add all people, all tribes, all nations. See, see Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. To add them all, all tribes into the family of God. So Joshua wants them to recognize their distinctiveness and also... To be aware, there are, other, there are other stations out there that will try to pull them off sides. A litmus test, I think, if, if we're going to get real tonight with our, our lives and go beyond Israel to, to kind of our identity, a litmus test for believers would kind of be this. Am I living differently today because of my relationship with Jesus Christ? Has my life been fundamentally changed because I am God's child or not, you know? I'm like, if you had never, ever come to faith in Christ, what would you be like? If you think, eh, I'd essentially be the same. Um, I think that's a problem. I think our marriages should be different. I think the way we treat our coworkers should be different. I think the way that we speak should be different. I think our attitudes towards strangers and foreigners should be different, should be exceptional. I think the way we spend money, the priorities exhibited by that should be different. I don't think that's a big leap to come to those conclusions. I mean, our culture, the influence of our culture, it's strong. But we are to never bow our knees to the gods of this age to the gods of the peoples around us, financial gods, material gods, sex gods, political gods, God of self. Verses 12 and 13. But if, here's the if, but if you turn away and ally yourselves, tune in, 
right, to their station. Ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remind, remain among you. And the next step, you intermarry with them and you associate with them. Then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive the, out these nations before you. Instead, they will become what? They will become snares and traps for you. Whips on your back, thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So God had done amazing things. They knew it. They had witnessed it. It was incredible. They had stories to tell their grandkids about what they had seen, about what they had experienced. But here's the thing. And I'm not saying this for the first time. I don't know who did, but it's pretty good. It's one thing to take Israel out of Egypt. It's another thing to take Egypt out of Israel. Right? Watch out for anything that takes your heart away from God, which gets us to the third and the final idea tonight. And you talk about meat and potatoes. I mean, this is it right here. This is what we're all about. Number three. Above all else, love God. Above all else, love God. And this gets kind of back to what we're talking about, being distinctive, being a holy people, being separate. Why would God want that for us? A lot of reasons. But I would say this. Loving God has to be the first thing because it's really interesting you will actually be, I am absolutely convinced, you will be a better dad to your children if you love God more than you love your children. You will be a better husband to your wife if you love God more than you love your wife. You will be a better human being a better woman, better man, if you grow into the person you were designed to be, a person who loves God above all else. That's the way our souls were designed to work. And when this gets out of whack, we've talked about this before, we begin to love things and use people instead of how God designed us to be loving people. And using things, right? Everything gets off-center, off-kilter there. But when we put God first, then we love people, we use things, we're on balance, we're connected to our Creator. Joshua 23, 11, Joshua says this. Again, careful. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. We're not talking about just a warm glow in your... Oh, mm, tender emotions. Those will come. Have days where you feel that. But what about those days when your heart's a little bit cold? A deep, strong love, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's in your relationship with the God who made you and gave His Son for you, it is defined by the choice to love. Be very careful to love God. That's what, it's a choice. It's more than a feeling. 
And so one thing I want to point out, and we wrap up, this is just one kind of, kind of footnote here, because we've talked about the Bible, and now we're talking about loving God. Isn't that the same thing? Not exactly. Um, both are incredibly important. They are not the same thing. Joshua called the people to be obedient to the Word of God. Here, at the end of this chapter, he's calling them to love God himself. We don't worship the Bible. We obey the Word of God. We cling to the Word of God. It is our North Star. That would be bibliolatry. That would be a form of idolatry to actually put the Bible up on a pedestal and worship it, bow down. We don't do that. We worship the God of the Bible. The Bible is not God. I don't think that's a huge revelation, but I think it's important to point out because you can kind of get confused here where you equate or you flatten it out where studying the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, automatically faithfulness to God. But the Scripture, it is our North Star. It's the polar star pointing our way forward, helping us get to God, helping us move into the will of God. But we don't worship the Bible. The Bible's not God. It's a revelation from Him of His will for us and the history of His people. We just need to be clear that we worship a who, not a what. We worship God. Now we're going to finish with Joshua's words about what's at stake. Verse 16. So if you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving these other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the land he has given you. It's not a threat. It's a portrayal of reality. That's what's going to happen. When you cease to be distinctive, when you disconnect from God, the one who's been fighting your battles, things are not going to go well. When you start tuning into these other neighborhood stations, Canaanite stations on the FM dial, you're going to experience a break in the relationship with the one who has brought you to this point, with the one who formed this, that word, covenant with you. And there is a vanishing of the good plans that he has for you, he tells them. So may the Spirit lead us to honor God by following his word, being vigilant of the influences that are out there, the static in our lives, so that we can hear the voice of God and that so we can give our hearts to God first and foremost, every single day. Because that is who we are. Let's stand together. Let's worship together.